he said, if they stop you, you just say you have to go to the bathroom. And I said, what if they shoot me? From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature. Real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. This time, we'll hear about a woman who risked her own safety to bless the world. Wang Ping lives near the banks of the Mississippi River. Her whole life has played out near rivers, ever since she was a little girl, growing up at the mouth of the Yangtze River in China. Something about water has always attracted her. And I didn't realize it until actually I started rowing. You can't fight the river, you have to go with the river. <laughs> the river is just so powerful, the water is just so powerful. And I was also, growing up in China, I was very familiar with the Taoism, right? And water is the key element and the foundation for Tao. The first thing that Taoism talks about the water is, the water seems the weakest, but it is indeed the strongest element. And also the gentlest and the most beautiful. And the water is us. You know, we are made of water, 75% at least. Ping wanted to bring the Yangtze and Mississippi, two of the most culturally important rivers in the world, together as sister rivers. You know, like sister cities. And she wanted to accomplish this through Tibetan prayer flags. These are brightly colored cloths attached to string, found throughout the Himalayas. They're inscribed with the wishes of the people who create them. And when the wind blows the flags, it's thought that the prayers spread throughout the land, blessing it. Ping loved this idea. So her thought was to travel along the Mississippi and Yangtze rivers, having people make their own prayer flags with wishes for clean rivers, air, and mountains. Then she would bring the flags to Tibet so their wishes could be sent from the roof of the world. The final destination is Everest, right? And um, wherever I go, I tell them their flags will go, will travel all the way to the Everest, and their wishes will spread from the roof of the world. Their eyes just started sparkling, and people just responded so overwhelmingly to this idea. And it just snowballed. This project is really not about me at all. It's about to bring all the people together. It's like the rivers bring all the water together and bring all the water to the sea. Those flags carry the blessings of all the places I travel to and also the energy and blessing of the people I met. Ping called it the Kinship of Rivers Project. She started working on it in 2011, and in 2013, she prepared to travel to China, the Yangtze River, and ultimately Tibet and Everest. It was going to be a long, expensive, and even dangerous trip. So she raised money and formed a team. The total group of people is five. My, uh, myself, and uh, a filmmaker, a photographer, a musician, 
and, and a journalist. The photographer was Ping's teenage son. And in summer of 2013, the team flew to Shanghai at the mouth of the Yangtze River to begin the journey to Everest. We have to take the train from city to city. Then once we get to the city, sometimes we have to take cars. Sometimes we have to take buses. Sometimes we have to take boats. Along the way, we met with so many people. The Chinese people, would, they just loved the idea, right? And uh, the Chinese authority is pretty intense about any kinds of activities. We find a spot with a lot of people. We open our flags and people would just get it. And then I would give them the fabric and markers and they would just make their flags. And on the train, it's really tricky because the train has a lot of cops, right? And the conductors are all cops. So we will open the flags and people will gather and say, what is this? And they will explain. And then we gave out the fabric and then the cops will come running. They said, no, you cannot do that. Put it away. Uh, so we'd put it away and people already understood the story. So they went back to their own compartments and uh, start making their own flags. And then after that, we would gather. I brought uh, a really great musician and we would start singing and jamming and, you know, play music together. Even though it's heavily guarded by cops, you know, they can't guard us 24-7, right? We spend many days and nights on the train. So we were singing a lot of like uh, Mississippi blues and they just loved it. And the Chinese musicians, you know, would teach us Chinese folk songs. Sometimes the cops would join us uh, with our singing and uh, tell us all kinds of stories. Because, you know, most cops are human only, right? After they take off their uniform, they're just like us. They knew how silly the policy is, you know, and uh, they knew we only we're just trying to share, you know, good stories from the Mississippi River and bring people's stories from Yangtze to the Mississippi. And some of them actually even made their own flags, actually. By now, Ping had collected thousands of flags that represented the wishes of all different kinds of people for a better world and environment. She and her team continued to travel up the Yangtze River farther into the continent. Then they reached Tibet. It's arid, with massive snow-capped mountain ranges, the tallest mountains in the world. The Himalayas tower more than 6,000 meters above sea level, 20,000 feet. The first day we entered Tibet, we had to drive like 14 hours to get to the first hotel. And Along the way, there was not a single village or a single hotel. Tibet is an odd place to travel. There are tensions over its political status dating back hundreds of years. Many see it as its own distinct region that should be its own country. But China still governs it. And the Chinese government keeps a watchful eye there. So if you travel to Tibet as a foreigner, you're required to have multiple permits for different parts of the region and someone to act as a travel guide. His name is Tashi. And uh, the first thing he said was your permit. And the permit was really, really difficult to get. 
you know, the Tibet Qinghai area is one kind of permit. To enter Lhasa, we needed another kind of permit. So the, all the documents were fine, and we showed him that permit. Then the Tibetan, the Lhasa guide said, well, I need to get you the permit to enter Everest. But that's where the problem began. That's because you need at least three different kinds of permits to visit Everest. A Tibet travel permit, an alien travel permit, and a Tibet border pass. But Ping couldn't get one of the permits, which meant the flags and all her hard work might not make it to Everest. So we started scrambling, looking for all kinds of like tricks and backdoors and bribery even, and see if we can get a permit for me, right? Because all my other, you know, American teammates got it already, and I couldn't. So the Tibetan guy said, well, do you still want to go? I cannot guarantee uh, you to enter because this year they seem to be very, very strict. And he said, well, you may get shot. Ping and her team started making their way up the mountain. And immediately, there were problems. We got a flat tire because the potholes. Just, and we were just in the car, we would just jump like a foot high, this kind of thing. And the rocks are really sharp. And so finally, our car just got flat tire. And we have to stop and change the tire. And because it's just one car path, so we stopped all the cars behind us. So we try our best. People would just cuss and just beep and honk at us. We just give them kind of middle fingers. What can we do, right? But that's also where we discovered the sacred spring. Tibetans and the people from India, from Nepal, from neighboring countries, they would travel all, you know, every year to fetch the water for purification, for festivals, for, for rituals. And then Chinese troops, they sealed it up with concrete and metal. You know, it's, it's a very strategic pathway and uh, they don't want people to come, you know, and gather that area. And our car broke down right there. So I don't know what is it, you know, if there's coincidence or not. So we filled up all our like bottles and containers, you know, with that sacred water, including that metal water bottle. Then we continued. We entered at the first gate, the first pass, and we had to go through three checkpoints three passes and the first part was just really really intense and uh, so many people just a mess just like you can't get through people just throb just mob you know throbbing mob trucks and cars and you know just line up like two or three miles long and waiting to have their permit verified and then they could go get through so my guide took me there to the checkpoint and then he took me straight to the other to the exit of the checkpoint 
Then he said, "Ping, just go." The checkpoint is an office, right? Outside the office is the gate where the cars and trucks can get through, and they were like on both sides. They were heavily guarded by troops, right? And he was asking me to walk by the troops without a permit by myself, and nobody was walking. And、uh, I said, "You're kidding me." He said, "Nope. <laughs> If they stop you, you just say you have to go to the bathroom." And I said, "What if they shoot me? You know, they could shoot because they were carrying like heavy shotguns, right? You know, they were like fully armed." And then he said, "Well, do you want to go to the Everest or not?" So I started walking, and.、Uh, Nobody seemed to see me, <laughs> and my heart was in my throat. And just said, "Oh my God!" I just kept praying, like, "Like, don't shoot me, don't shoot me!" And I just walked past them, and just kept walking along the highway. And I had to walk like two or three miles, and everybody from the checkpoint could see me as I was walking along the highway. And I don't understand why not a single soldier would see me. And then my car finally, my guy just picked me up in their car, and、uh, and I was just like almost passing out because it's so dehydrated. It was really hot. It was still quite low because that's the first checkpoint. Then the second checkpoint, the same thing. Ping got out and walked right through. But the most difficult was the base camp. There, the restrictions and the verification, because it's just so close to. It's like after this checkpoint, we are in the base camp, so it's really, really, really restricted, the most heavily guarded area. As people again were waiting to be verified with their permit, my guy just took me. And、um, this time, it's not a building, but it's a tent. He just walked me through the tent. To the other end, and said, "Just walk, Ping." And I said, "No, I can't. Just my legs were just collapsing, right?" I said, "This is too scary because the troops. It was like before the first and second checkpoint. It's much bigger and a lot of distraction, and also a lot of because the heat wave. There was a lot of like mirage, and I could almost like blend into the mirage. And here it's so cold." And so sparse, and not a single tree. There was nothing, but just me. And I was pleading with the guy. I said, "This time, they really going to shoot me." And he said, "Just take off your jacket." He said, "Take it off. Take off your hat. Give me your camera. Give me your purse." Then he also handed me a bottle of water, which was from the sacred spring. I said. Take this with you, and I said I really can't go on. You know, I'm just just really terrifying. And、uh, then he said, "Ping, sometimes the most dangerous place is the safest place." And I thought about it, and I said, "Okay, if I don't do this, we all our effort was just for nothing." So he just stripped me, and everything except that water bottle was 
the water from the sacred spring and just pushed me into the field, which I had to walk through before I reached the temple to get to the safe place. And I went there and it was the longest and most difficult field I had to cross in my entire life. It was just really scary. And uh, because also the air was so thin, every step just, you had to stop and breathing, just gasping for air. And I was actually got caught by a soldier. And I was just terrified because he was pointing his gun at me and he said, what are you doing, right? And where's your permit? And then my guy told me, if you got caught, just say you already got through and in the temple and you were just, you know, uh, came out to use bathroom. So at that moment, I realized why my guy just stripped everything from me because I did not have a purse, I did not have a camera, I did not have my hat, I did not have my coat. And then he saw the water bottle, which is in a kind of metal water bottle that looks like a bomb. And then the guard said, what's this? And I just like, oh my God, he thinks it's a bomb. And I just handed to him, no, 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 it's just water bottle. And um, actually it's the water from that sacred spring down there. And his eyes just at that moment just lit up and said, whoa, can I have a taste? And he just grabbed the water bottle and opened it and just drank the water from the bottle. Then he handed it back to me and said, try it, this is really special. And we started sharing the bottle like people would share like <laughs> whatever, right, you know, cigarettes or weed. And, um, and we started talking and the guy turned out to be a Tibetan soldier. And he came from the town I actually visited. And his name also is called Tashi, the same name as with my, with my Tibetan guide. Then he told me all about the sacred water and why it's sacred and, uh, and what it means to him and why he is here. And it's literally this time, it's the water that dissolves all the conflict, all the danger and connects us. And we became friends through that bottle of sacred water, spring water. Then the sun came out miraculously because we went there in the monsoon season and we're not supposed to see the sunlight. And the sun came out as we were talking and he looked at the sun and looked at me just said, whoa, this never happens, right? It brought us like a miracle. And then he let me go. And I know like it's not too far, the checkpoint, because it's a relatively small place, the, uh, the base camp. So I know my son and my guide were watching me on the other end. 
So after we finished, they just came through the checkpoint and I got reunited with them. And once we are in, nobody will check us. Some angels or some spirits like almost like blindfolded those troops. I literally was walking under their nose, uh, walking by them under their nose. They just would not see me, you know. And the only person who saw me became, we became friends through the water. And that night the moon came out. You can see everything. My son finally woke up and he had been complaining, just so difficult, you know, and no f good food to eat, and he was missing home, missing McDonald's, you know, and pizza, and, and why are we here? And when the peak revealed its face, I can see the eyes just open up, and, and he just suddenly just awake. The next morning, it was time for the purpose of their trip, to open the flags on Everest, the roof of the world. But because of the Chinese guards, they still had to be careful. We opened a few flags and sang a few songs and beat a few drums and then closed it and went to a different place and opened it. And that was it. The prayers reigned over the land. Then Ping and her team packed up the flags. Ping decided then that she would come back to Everest, but on the Nepal side, so she could properly leave the flags where they were meant to be. And so 2016, I brought a team of three people and we went up to Nepal. And we trekked, you know, for 10 days, all the way to the base camp and, and hanging the flags along the way. So we left half of the flags on the Everest, and hopefully they're still fluttering there. The most difficult actually is leaving them behind because I know every story of the flag, and um, they have traveled with me all these years. I know every flag maker. And now suddenly I will leave them behind. You know, I will never see them again. But also it teaches me life is never permanent and uh, life is all about constant changes, right? And uh, this is also the moment that teaches me to, to detach, to let go. So new opportunities and new doors will open for me. And it always does. Our storyteller was Wang Ping. She continues the Kinship of Rivers project to this day and has made it to rivers like the Amazon, the Ganges, and the Columbia River. You can read more about her work at our website, humannaturepodcast.org. I'm Caroline Ballard. The show was produced by me, Aaron Jones, Anna Rader, Tressa Versteg, and Micah Schweitzer. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.